G'day, I'm Andrew Morris, and welcome to the first episode of LifeWords Q&A. It's a weekly 30-minute conversation with LifeWords author David Ray about living out faith, or if you like, the intersection of faith and life. And if you've got a question, you can email us, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. David, it's great to have you here and to, to finally start this LifeWords Q&A. Thanks, Andrew. And uh, I hope it does help people in their Christian journey. We're not going to provide easy answers to hard questions. We won't even be able to clear up every question that everyone has. But what I want to say is it's okay to have questions. It's okay to ask them. It's okay not to have all the answers. But we reckon we can provide some help along the way anyway. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. So our first question, David, it's from Linda. And she asks, does God expect me to forgive someone who's wrecked mine and others' lives? And how do I go about it? Well, it all really depends on what you mean by forgiveness. And, and forgiveness is such an important thing in the Bible. Obviously, God forgiving us and uh, we're supposed to forgive others. So, yes, I suppose the short answer to Linda is, does God expect you to forgive someone who's wrecked yours and others' lives? Well, yes, he does expect you. But we need to be clear just what forgiveness is and what it's not. Okay. So I've been wronged in my eyes, and uh, I do feel like I'm harboring something against somebody. Yep. What do I do? How do I mean, it's, it's, it's a feeling, but it's also a choice of the mind to actually forgive, isn't it? Oh, yes, yes. Look, it, it's, it's a decision of the will, but the decision of the will shapes your heart response as well. So you can't sort of compartmentalize the two. I guess when we say, how do we go about it? What we've got to do, I think, is first of all, say what we don't do. Um, you know, we don't excuse the wrong. When I forgive someone or you forgive someone, you're not saying, oh, it didn't happen. It didn't matter. Well, it did happen and it does matter. So it's not denial. It's not leniency. It's not even forgetting. People sometimes think to forgive, I've got to forget. No, you don't. You can't forget. No, forgiveness is a refusal to hit back at a person who's wronged me. Forgiveness is my saying, you've wronged me, but I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to hit back at you. Uh, you have, have wronged me. I am not going to wrong you. That's basically what I think the nature of forgiveness is. So I guess the first step in, in this is actually having the courage to maybe confront that person or just say, hey, David, what you just said or what you've just done has really hurt me. Is that part of part of it, bringing up to talk to that person? Sure, sure. Um, um, if you can, I guess. Of course, if you can. That's what I was going to say. Uh, the person may well be dead. The person may be a long way away. The person may not be in a particular situation so as to be able to talk with you. Uh, so uh, you can forgive without talking to that person. Uh, sometimes you have to forgive without talking to that person. Sometimes you forgive internally. You resolve the issue within yourself. You resolve not to hit back. You resolve uh, not to wound that person. And you don't have to confront the person. But if that person is one of those people who goes on and on wronging you, well, yes, you do have to have the courage to say, hey, this is not on. I'm not going to take this. Because remember, forgiveness isn't putting up with it. Forgiveness yep. is saying, you've wronged me. I don't like it. It hurts. Don't do it. But I'm not going to go back at you. We make we, we take part of that responsibility of forgiving that person. What can I expect God to do to help me? Well, he has to help you because one of the things that Jesus says, it's easy to love your friends, but it's really hard to love your enemies. Um, um, human love comes naturally to the lovable. But Divine love is supernatural when we have to love the 
unlovable. So we need God's help enormously because forgiveness is so hard. You see, we don't need God's help in denying the hurt or excusing it or treating it lightly. We sort of almost do that as human beings. But if I'm going to confront that person either publicly with that directly to that person or I'm actually going to confront it within my own mind and heart and my memories, I'm going to need a lot of courage and a lot of help because, Andrew, the point about this is that if people ever say to you, oh, I've forgiven that person, it was a piece of cake, no worries, they're wrong. They actually haven't forgiven them because forgiveness is always costly, always painful, because it means I face the truth. And in order to face that truth, I really do need God's help. So it's not just a case of getting up in the morning and saying, oh, I think I'll forgive that person today. No, you've got to get God's help. And remember, it's also a journey. It's a process. It's not just a case of, well, nine o'clock Monday morning, I've forgiven that person and that's it. No, usually the hurts have gone on for a while. And so therefore the forgiveness takes a while as well. And we need God's help on that journey, on that process. So, so David, uh, here's, a, here's a situation. Um, say I was a child and a friend did me wrong and that memory, uh, that feeling of being wronged has lived with me through teenage years to young adulthood. I believe I've dealt with it and forgiven him, but the feeling, the memories are still there. What do I do with that? Have I truly forgiven that person? Well, I think this gets to the heart of the forgiveness issue. Some people think, no, I haven't forgiven that person because I'm still having painful memories. Well, of course you'll have painful memories. Forgiveness is not a magic wand whereby all those painful memories are just simply wiped away. Forgiveness is that which allows you to both remember that pain and even feel that pain, but without making it worse by trying to inflict pain on that other person. You see, yeah. if, if, if so my, my answer to the question is, do you still feel pain and hurt and therefore have I forgiven that person? My answer would be, you are on the way to forgiving them. Um, have you completely forgiven them in the sense that the situation is utterly resolved and you can remember the hurt and yet not be too wounded by it? No, you haven't got there yet. Maybe you'll never get there. But the important thing is you're on the way. So I just urge anyone who's struggling with forgiveness not to um, beat themselves over the head because they still have these painful memories. Of course you will have those painful memories. But the question is, what are you doing with them? And if you are resolving with God's help not to hit back and to move on in life and embrace all that life has for you now and not wish that person ill, then you are on the way to forgiveness. Might not have arrived at the perfect state, but then again, uh, that's life this side of heaven. Well, I guess that, that, that brings us to the point, can we expect that uh, in a situation where a friendship or a relationship has been uh, damaged, we've gone through the process of forgiveness, can we expect, and I guess it's not always the case that friendships will be restored to their original state, is it, David? No, no, it's not. Don't Never confuse forgiveness and reconciliation. See, forgiveness is something that we've got control over. We take the initiative. We make the offer. But reconciliation, restoration of friendship, well, no, that, that, that involves the other person. And what I want to say is this, that if you're feeling terrible about this, but I've forgiven that person, or I'm on the way to forgiving that person, but... but 
the relationship's not restored because that person's still doing the wrong thing um, or, or, or I can't be reconciled to that person. Well, all I'd say is God knows exactly how you feel because this not even God can be reconciled to everyone. He offers forgiveness to everyone. But is everyone reconciled? No, because people have to accept the offer of forgiveness. So my point to someone who would say, but oh, the relationship's still disrupted, I'd say that is so sad. It is so painful. God knows how you feel. But remember, you are not responsible for reconciliation. You are responsible for offering forgiveness. But to stress, forgiveness is not the magic wand that restores all relationship. Forgiveness is what allows you to dump that baggage of hurt and pain and resentment, enables you to dump all that and so be free to move on. One of my favourite writers on forgiveness had that phrase which says, um, when we forgive someone, we set a prisoner free and the prisoner we set free is us. I love it. It's great. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray and myself, Andrew Morris. Coming up, we're going to be talking about uh, issues of eternal life, generational sin, and prayer. But right next, we've got an interesting one from Nick David. The question is, if those who've never heard of Jesus through no fault of their own can't have eternal life, how can that be fair? Uh, Well... I'd query that statement um, that if you've never heard of Jesus through no fault of your own, you can't have eternal life. It sounds good, doesn't it? But in fact, um, all we have to say there is goodbye Moses, goodbye David, goodbye Abraham, goodbye Ruth, goodbye anyone who lived before Jesus' time. And I don't think anyone would want to <laughs> say that they're going to miss out on uh, eternal life. And just to add to that, although perhaps not the that's not the number of the question, but I suggest that those who have been incapable of making a response to Jesus in our day, young infants, those severely disabled, I certainly don't think they'd be missing out on eternal life. So I, I, I think we need to sort of clarify this phrase of never heard of Jesus and so on. Okay, so I know that in Romans and stuff, the Bible says that uh, I guess God's revealed himself through creation and, and through his his handiwork, and there's a, a number of references, I guess, in the New Testament. So I guess, what does Jesus say about that? Well, well, well Jesus, uh, this is, I think, behind the uh, question, I suspect, that Jesus, of course, came out straight out and said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So why can we? Uh, why do we both accept what Jesus says, which we certainly do, yep. and yet accept the fact that, well, David, Abraham, yep. and Ruth, and so on, never get to hear of Jesus? Um I, I think the way I'd resolve it is this way. Jesus is saying he is the means by which the Father shows mercy to anyone. Anyone who'll be in heaven will be there because Jesus came and died for their sins. The question is, do those people know that Jesus has died for their sins. Did Moses know that Jesus died for his sins? Well, of course not. He lived way before Jesus. But Moses, David, all these Old Testament great ones cried out to God for mercy. And only we know from our perspective that God showed mercy through Jesus. So Jesus is the means by which God shows mercy to people. Anyone who calls out to God for mercy will receive mercy because he is rich in mercy. How can God show mercy? Because of Jesus. Does everyone know that God shows mercy that way? Nope. But it doesn't matter. In the end, anyone who'll be in heaven with God will be there because of Jesus. But there'll be some people who will know it's because of Jesus and some people who'll only know when they get there. 
Ah, uh, Dave. So, so how how do how do we reconcile the issue that that's not saying that everyone will be saved? Well, no, everyone will not be saved because salvation's an offer, and um, you know, if you don't accept the offer, you don't get saved. Um, it's as in a sense as simple as that. You see, in all this, Andrew, we've got to avoid two extremes. Um, one extreme is that God's pretty easygoing. He's a nice bloke. He'll let everyone into heaven in the end. Brief, you know, he's not going to let anyone out. Uh, that's one extreme. The other extreme is that getting eternal life is a bit like a lottery. It depends on where you were born and when you were born. Born in Australia in the 1990s, you got a chance, particularly if you're born in Sydney, where there's plenty of churches. Um, born in the middle of Saudi Arabia in this 18th century, sorry, no chance. Now, I don't think we can go to that extreme either. You see, We've got to balance all this out. Our God is utterly holy. You can only get to heaven through his mercy and his cleansing and his forgiveness. But he, he shows that mercy in a, through Jesus specifically in history, but the people who, as we said before, don't know about Jesus can still appropriate that mercy for themselves even though they may not, not be aware of it. So look, I think we can trust God to extend mercy to anyone, irrespective of ethnicity, history, geography. God, in the end, is not going to be unfair. As uh, C.S. Lewis once famously said, the doors of hell are locked on the inside. In other words, if we don't want to have eternal life with God, we have, in a sense, made that choice. So God, who is rich in mercy, offers mercy through Jesus. Will all accept it? Sadly, no. But all, I do believe, have the chance of appropriating it. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray and Andrew Morris. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're enjoying it. This is a, a weekly podcast which you can get from hope1032.com.au and you can subscribe to it through the iTunes store as well. Just look for LifeWords Q&A by Hope Media. Okay, David, we're moving on to our next question. And uh, this is from Sarah. She says, uh, I'm fed up with church. What can I do about it? <laughs> Uh, well, as a church minister, I, I, I hear this a bit, actually, and uh, uh, I'm aware of um, Sarah's feelings. Um, it's probably not too improper to say some ministers are fed up, fed up with church, too. But you've got to differentiate. I wonder what Sarah's talking about particularly. Is this person fed up with a particular church? Um, now, in that particular case, is this fed-upness... Uh, frustration based on an inability to accept human imperfection. I mean, some people are looking, I'm not saying Sarah is, but yep. some people do look for, a, in a sense, the perfect church. And uh, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the great German Christians, said, uh, idealism is the death of Christian community. In other words, once we idealise the yep. church, idealise Christian community, um, we'll become disillusioned with it and it's the death of it. So sometimes we're fed up with church because we're fed up with the imperfections of other human beings, uh, which, yes, is very understandable, but, hey, you're a fellow human being yourself and perhaps other people are fed up with you. So there's that sort of um, aspect. Or, 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 you see, I don't want to dismiss um, Sarah's question, though, just like that, because it can be that we're fed up with church uh, for, for, for very, very much more profound reasons. There are reasons why Christians get fed up with church. And uh, we can't just always dismiss it and just say, oh, well, church is imperfect and we're all imperfect and there's no perfect church. There are sometimes 
serious reasons why people have got to look again at their church and say, hey, should I belong to this? Well, it can be a level of maturity, can't you? You could be progressing at a stage where maybe you you need a different teaching or, or, yep. or a different environment, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> I, but I guess it's not an excuse... I could say from when friends have left, say, our church, uh, the church that I go to, and are no longer attending a church, that I'm losing out because you've chosen to step out. And, like, stepping out from going to church at all because it just church doesn't fit who I am as a Christian. Mm. Like, mm. Yes, it, it, it's hurtful. As a, as a pastor, I, I, I find it hurtful if people leave the church um, because sometimes people do leave a church on fairly superficial grounds. This doesn't suit me. Something else will suit me rather than sticking at it and adapting to, yeah. as I say, the landscape of human imperfection. But, but again, uh, not to say that there is not sometimes a good reason to leave a church. I've had people leave churches which I've pastored for very good reasons. And like you, I've felt the loss. I've felt saddened that I've no longer got that connection. But at the same time, I've had to say, no, their journey in Christ is taking them in a different direction. In one particular case, it was, we want to minister in the inner city. We want to minister to the homeless in the inner city. Well, as a pastor of an outer suburban church, I'm sorry, I can't help you there too much. So off they went. And so, so I think there can be good reasons to leave a church. But I tell you what, if you're going to leave a church, do so graciously and courteously. Don't sort of uh, just disappear off the roster, as it were, and find people scratching their heads and saying, where's so-and-so? Oh, they left six weeks ago to go somewhere else. No, I think you've got to be very courteous and direct about it. I've had people leaving a church which I pastored, and we actually took the time to bring them up the front before they left to go to another church and to bless them and to lay hands on them and say, these people are going on a different spiritual journey. They went into a different Christian tradition to which uh, to, to that of mine, and we said, God bless you, go for it, uh, because we'd rather have you powering on for God in a church which you found more, to, uh, more compatible with the present stage of your journey than, than sticking at it uh, in our church. But, of course, it is a matter of great discernment and prayer to know when to stay and stick it out in this imperfect church and to say, yes, I'm going to help make this church more than more what it should be. And when to say, no, I think my time here is finished and my attempts to change this church or improve this church, whatever, are perhaps not the best for that church. We need to leave. But if you do, graciously, courteously and not burning your bridges, going to another church, not carrying the baggage over from the church you've left. Well, David, well, Sarah, Sarah may be possibly not just uh, disgruntled with her church in particular, but maybe the church as a whole. Uh, what does she do with that? Well, yes, in one sense, that's a little bit more difficult because as a Christian, you in a sense can't resign. You can leave and go to one other church, as it were, but you can't actually resign from the Christian church. Um, uh, look, the headlines aren't always good. We know that. Um, a couple of things to be said about that. Again, we remind ourselves, yes, the church is imperfect and, and, and all that. We have to admit that. Uh, um, but the thing I want to say, if, if this is Sarah's concern, is don't confuse institutions with the church itself. Um, God didn't uh, create the Pentecostals, the Anglicans, the Baptists, the Roman Catholics, the Salvation Army. Uh, he didn't create any of these things. Jesus didn't die for institutions or denominations. So I, I'd say don't be too hung up about what's happening in the wider church. This will always be falling short of what God wants for them. Um, 
I, I would think if you are fed up with the church in general, the best thing to do about it is to be as positive, fruitful, godly, humble person in your own church, whatever that church might be. Because I tell you what, if you are doing good within your own church, within the community, blessing people graciously, loving one another, there's not much argument about that. Sure, there's there's terrible institutional abuse that's happened in the past. We know that. And that's unforgivable in a, in, in a human sense anyway. But the only thing you, Sarah, or anyone can do about that is to say, well, I am going to, at my local level, show what the church is really about, even if the institutional church doesn't seem to give that impression. David, thank you very much. That, that winds up our first episode of LifeWords Q&A. I hope you enjoyed it. If you've got a question on life and faith and how the two intersect, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. And you can uh, download this podcast and uh, the rest of the LifeWords Q&A from hope1032.com.au and from the iTunes store. Just search for LifeWords Q&A. Next week on uh, LifeWords Q&A, we're going to find out, can we call Australia a Christian country? And why don't I get what I ask for in prayer when the Bible says it will? That's up next week on LifeWords Q&A. David, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Andrew.